You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. This episode is a highlight clip from this week's full episode. To listen in on the complete conversation, see the show notes for the link to the complete show. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate every bit of your support. I'm Morgan McKittrick, your producer, and this is Decidedly. So it, it sounds like there's a lot of decisions in that process. You know, someone who's a founder and maybe a very successful salesperson in their own right, they relinquish that responsibility to the team and, and to see them underperform. A lot of people are going to choose to continue to hold that close to the vest and not, not do it themselves. Building that out is really tough. So as a consultant who is helping people amplify their sales ability across an organization, how do you guys defeat bad decision-making that could hinder that? I mean, it, it, again, it depends on what that uh, the poor decision-making that we're trying to defeat, right? Because, I mean, if it's uh, ego-driven, that's one way to consider it. And then there is um, just, just poor decision-making as, as a lack of either clarity or information. So a lot of times, the first thing I always want to figure out is what do we know to be true? Right. Let's get facts, figures, emotions, all because because and why why did I specifically say facts? Let's get facts out of the way, is because um, you know there's your facts, my facts, and then the real facts, right? So it, it, everything is is a matter of perception. So we always look at what do we know to be true? What is something that everyone can agree upon? Once we have that, and we'll, and then from there we're looking to effectively define the problem. And once we have the problem that everyone can agree on, then what we find is a lot of times the, the, the appropriate decisions or the right path starts to unveil itself. Um, that's kind of like the first order way of going about it. And then um, the second order way is, um, it's, it's difficult to explain, but it, it happens a lot through just observation, right? As, as you're observing things play out, you can start to get a feeling and a gauge where those problems lie. When you when you go into an organization, there are uh, a, a lot of things you're having to deal with, right? You, you know, you're you're looking at hiring issues, you're looking at, at sales processes, uh, intake processes, sales close ratios. What are you finding is the biggest issue that you're addressing or needing to address most often? Uh, I would say nine times out of ten, it's accountability. Um, the gift of accountability is the greatest gift you can give somebody. And that is just seems to be something that um, people don't want to either express on, on their teams. Um, and it could be for a whole host of different reasons. But specifically what I mean about that is number one, expectations aren't clearly laid out, right? So most salespeople or just employees in general of an organization don't know what great looks like, right? So we hire somebody, we tell them, hey, this is your job, go do it. We give them a very superficial understanding of it, very high level. And we just hope that they you know, give themselves on the job training and then you know, do a great job. So we don't clearly communicate what it is that is expected of them. And I mean, at a granular level, right? So I expect you to do X, Y, and Z on an hour by hour, day to day, minute by minute basis. Um, and, and these are the KPIs I'm going to hold you accountable to. This is what great looks like. That's the first step. And then the second step is once you've laid it out, 
holding them accountable to that and having those difficult and crucial conversations when somebody inevitably you know, doesn't live up to expectations or, or fails or, or drops the ball or whatever the case might be. It's about having a candid conversation and saying, hey, this is the expectation. Why did you not meet it? Is it because you don't know how to? And if that's the case, then it's a training issue and let's get you trained up. Or is it that you don't want to, right? And if you don't want to, then that's a separate problem. Let's figure out why you don't want to. Do you think that you shouldn't be because it's you know, not actually going to help you hit your goals or it's, it's, it's a redundant effort or um, you're just a poor culture fit and you're, there's no core values alignment. You don't actually want to work. Right. And if that's the case, then we, that, that's a different conversation, but we, we should you definitely don't put those people on your team, right? Well, how many founders, uh, I, I'm not sure how many founders you guys talk to on a day-to-day basis, but I talk constantly and, and I'll ask them and I'll say, do you know that this person does not want to be inside of your organization? They are collecting a check. They are actively disengaged and they're collecting a check from you on a day-to-day basis. And then they'll make up some cockamamie excuse, be like, well, this person's going through this and this is happening. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, this person's not doing their job. Like, what more is there? Well, that would require me to admit that I made a bad hiring decision. Um, Well, I think it was uh, correct. Yeah, I think a lot of people people don't want to look back, even if the flaw is in someone else, a lot of people will be defensive because if if they're underperforming, if my employee is underperforming, that means that I made a lot of bad decisions to get to this point. I made maybe a bad hiring decision. Maybe I didn't train them well. Maybe I didn't lead and motivate them well. At some point, I've done something wrong because otherwise they wouldn't be here. <laughs> so it's a lot easier to defend them than to say, oh, yeah, I messed up and I failed them. It's almost human nature saying, right? I think, you know, we, you're, you're right in that people end up hanging around longer in organizations because you want to justify that you made a good decision in hiring. You want to justify that, you know, you can, you can fix this. Uh, you want to make, you want to justify that you were right in not firing them the first time they screwed up. Um, so it's, it's tough. You know, I, I see that a lot that organizations, in, in groups that I'm in and I talk with business owners all the time, that they're de- they'll be dealing with this one personnel issue for way longer than they should. They keep bringing it up. I'm like, you know, at some point you've got you, you've got to make a decision how you're dealing with this with this issue. I believe I've, I've got shirts that say this. It says indecisiveness is weakness, right? We make decisive, we take decisive action, right? And because we, we've got a lot of domain experience that allows us to believe and have the confidence because we'll be well provisioned when we arrive at a, at a, at a, at a mm-hmm. point. But so, so we like to make decisive decisions very quickly because if you, if you don't shoot that gap, a lot of times you only have a very small window in order to be able to capitalize on an opportunity. We refuse to lose those. So that's got to be the first thing is we've got to make sure. Hey, that- but I, it's, it's so difficult to, to get to that point. Right. You know, the T-shirt you're talking about, indecisiveness is, is weakness. But the, the people who are, are not quick decision makers really don't see it that way. You know, they, they say, well, indecisiveness is I'm getting the facts. I'm, I'm making a better decision. I'm, I'm thinking it through. I'm being patient. I'm, I'm bringing collaboration. I'm not rushing to judgment. I want to make sure it's OK with everyone. Right. Uh, 
you want me to bust that wide open? I would love well, that. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a quick decision maker. Now that's, that doesn't mean I'm a good decision maker, but I, <laughs> that doesn't mean I always make the right decision, but I tend to make fast decisions. And so, okay. I want to get better at decision making, which is why we do this podcast, right? Is to explore how we do that. But yeah, I'd love to hear you bust that because I hear it okay. all. Okay. So there's like three different factors there. Um, first and foremost, in terms of how people make decisions, are you guys familiar with uh, the, um, the, the Colby, Colby assessment? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm Colby right, certified. Okay. Oh, yeah. as are we. We're Colby certified. Okay, perfect. So I'm preaching to the choir here, right? You guys are fact finders. And then I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 10 quick start, right? You're so, 10? <laughs> I'm a 10 quick start. I'm a two fact finder and I'm a 10 quick start. So I just go, right? I'll, I'll live. Uh, All gas, no break. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. So, um, so that being said, I have worked with high fact finders and low quick starts that also make quick decisions. Colby is not an excuse to move slowly. You just require more. So what you need to do is you need to understand that the decision-making timeline is the decision-making timeline. And what you need to do, whereas I only need, let's just say two nuggets of information if I'm a true fact finder, I can have my fulfill my two pieces of information inside of this timeline. Now, if somebody's a nine fact finder and they require a lot more information before they're comfortable in making a decision, make decision, well, you have the same amount of time, just go get more information, right? So what a lot of people do in their, when they take time, they're not gathering more information. What they're doing is they're delaying having mm -hmm. to make a decision. So you have to understand there's a difference between I'm gathering information versus I am delaying, uh, delaying making a decision. When someone says I'm getting all the facts, okay, what facts do you need? When will you have them by? And if they truly are looking to get all the facts, they will, they'll be able to answer that question. But if they're looking to slow roll it and delay the decision, it, it, they won't be able to answer I think that. They can't answer that question because there's always another fact around the corner. Ali, you talked about the the known knowns and the unknown unknowns, the things that you you don't know, you don't you you know you don't know, right? Um, I, how familiar are you with with Donald Rumsfeld and, and the the talk that he gave about the unknown knowns? Uh, vaguely, I, okay. I know of the talk and I've heard bits and pieces of it. Yeah, so he he basically he got so much flack for this whenever he brought up the idea but he says you know there's the known knowns the things you know you know the things you know you do not know and then the things you do not know that you do not know um but there's a fourth category and those are the things that you don't know that you do know you're unaware of but you know deep down to be true right inherently to be true and I think that that, to take it back to the Colby, I think that's the beautiful role that the low quick starts play. Because when we, who are all three of us high quick starts, we, we can adapt to change really quickly. We embrace change. We like change. We have no problem. We make quick decision-making. You know, if we look at the DISC assessments for all three of us, I bet we're 90 plus on, on the D score, you know, very quick decision-making, very decisive. Um, a lot of times I'll, we'll, I'll see organizations or, or clients or, or even individuals move quickly into change and leave behind something that was working for a very good and valid reason. In other words, they knew they needed to be doing this thing, <laughs> but they forgot that they knew that. 
uh, I think we see it in our society all the time, right? I think we see it in in our individual lives. We we don't know that groups make inefficient, or some people don't know that groups make inefficient decisions. But you know that when you really think about it, you know that because it hasn't been working for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I I completely agree. I think that there is this. Um, so so I just want to you know clarify my point. I don't believe that all change is great, of course, right? But I also don't believe that. Um, my, um, quick starts are the only ones that can make change, right? I, I actually sure. appreciate a low quick start. I, you know, I've got people on my team that are, you know, two, or I've got someone that's a three quick start on my team. And the, the, the thing that is inherently different between, about me versus her is that she'll think through things more. Um, whereas I'm, uh, she, she wants to maintain, right? Whereas I don't, and I want to change. Um, that's okay. I actually, I think that that's healthy conflict because then that forces me to have to justify why I'm changing. The, what I find unacceptable is somebody that wants to not change in the, in the light or in the face of when the change is appropriate. But that being said, I do agree with you, right? Not all change is good. And, um, you know, you have to know what is working and why it's working uh, and not change just for the sake of change. But I do agree with that. Thanks for making the great decision to listen into this week's episode highlight. If you want more of what you just heard, see the show notes for the full episode. As always, for the latest decision-making tips, find us on decidedlypodcast.com or on Instagram at decidedlypodcast. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter from the link in the show notes. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review as well. We read all of your comments, so if you learned some decision-making tips today, let us know. Until next time, this is Decidedly.